I, I know one brother he, he's involved in like uh, Muslim scouts and stuff like you know working with young people and he said an increasing number of young boys they start they've started to use very kind of maybe anti um, misogynistic language in the way they start you know now talking about uh, women even in their own you know families and stuff for us it's a swear word now the word feminism is a swear word so what are you fighting for then well i'm fighting for i want a better paid job okay so how are you going to get that is feminism going to give you a better paid job no there's a smoke screen it's just mm. one term and and for me it translates into entitled misogyny is is a, a very cr cruel silencing word and it's designed to be that as soon as somebody is as soon a man or a boy has a voice somebody and that voice doesn't uh, put women first or is not saying something the women want to hear they are misogynists I, right this is a message for women okay um, okay what's your what's your message for women? so my message for for, for women muslim or non-muslim women is that you assume that a behaviour when you alienate a father from its child doesn't mean anything. But what it does to a man is it absolutely breaks. Assalamu alaikum everyone and welcome to today's Unscripted Podcast. We have a, another special guest for you today, the sister Sally Ann. She is uh, the founder of an organization called Split the Difference, uh, which is a human rights organization that looks to address inequalities in legislation, guidance and policy for men and boys. Very interesting. Assalamu alaikum, sister. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, just for benefit of the audience and myself, can you just briefly outline what it is you you do at Split Difference, what your research interests are. Okay, so, I mean, the start of this was in 2015-16, and it started with me creating a whole family domestic abuse service centred around the children mm. through funding from the Police and Crime Commission in South East Wales. That project sent me on research that I'd never done before, and it was because of the 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 standoff of female services mm. that didn't want to see a whole family domestic abuse service that allowed men to be perpetrators and victims and likewise with women. So in we did an event in Welsh Government, um, in the Welsh Assembly actually, and for that event I had to do some research I'd never done before. Mm. And it ended up in 12 months research in the UK, looking at legislation, guidance, policy and um, f fiscal spending but how services were delivered in the UK mm -hmm. sat back in chair and thought oh my god the UK's got it wrong oh, what, this is crazy and then ended up doing a further four and a half years research wow. in Australia, America um, New Zealand, Canada some Arab countries, some African countries and some European countries basically I did a broad spectrum view of the world where I could find policies in English or legislation in mm -hmm. English and guidance I ended up backtracking towards the UN because I was noticing a common narrative. Um, and I was thinking, where's this narrative coming from? And I thought there's got to be a central point for this. So you were pulling on a thread mm -hmm. and, you know, it took you all yeah. around the world, basically, back to the, the UN. Yeah. What was that thread? What what what, what were you uh, interested in? Well, I was actually looking for best practice because mm -hmm. I realised the UK had got it wrong. and I and Got it wrong in what, sorry? In in its ability to, to support men and boys with their needs. Mm. 
you know, so things like domestic abuse, you know, education, homelessness, you know, 87% of homelessness in the UK is men or boys and wow. services and support mechanisms for men and boys was non-existent in comparison to women and girls. So I realised the UK got this very wrong um, mm -hmm. and, and that that needed to dress in. So instinctively, because I'm used to delivering services, I wanted to look for best practice. Mm. So I ended up looking at over 15 countries internationally, couldn't find it anywhere. So there's a pattern all over the world where, where you're saying victim, male victims of, of, of certain things like domestic abuse, um, homelessness, mm. what other things? So I, I, in the end, I had to kind of, I had to, I had to be very careful because wherever I looked, mm. I saw inequality wherever I looked. So I ended up having 13 areas. So they include things like family court, uh, criminal court, health, um, domestic abuse, the basic human rights legislation and guidance, equality legislation and guidance, education, I think I've repeated myself now. Mm -hmm. So there was there was 13 areas. And I basically, I looked at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, most professionals in some context, if you're in educational services, knows Maslow's hierarchy mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. needs, which means we meet the basic needs of a human being. And and I figured if I focused on what men were struggling with the most and which would allow them an environment where they had their basic needs were met mm -hmm. equally, then I was hoping the rest of it would unfold and, and naturally follow. So, so it might be surprising for some people to hear that, that some of the basic needs of men and boys, biological or you know societal needs, are not being met in, in, in England. Well, they're not, and and I think, I mean, there's a time when you do research like this, and there are a lot of the other people doing this now. There's a lot of professionals now. Mm -hmm. it, when I started, if I if I said to somebody, I'm I'm trying to support men and boys with their needs, and they have no equality in services or fiscal management, people would say to me, Sally, why are you trying to support men and boys? And now, from you're a traitor. I'm a traitor. Yeah. I'm a traitor. Um, and but now I we've most people who do the work that I do over the last two years, we're noticing a complete change. Mm -hmm. Lots of professionals, professors, doctors, academics, frontline service uh, delivery. You know, we're noticing there's an environment is getting different now. Mm. Um, and, I mean, th yes, everybody is still shocked. But what I realised was, when you do research like this, you reach a point where it feels like the twilight zone. Mm. Because everything in society says that women are the ones who need equality. And when you do the research, you reach a point. For me, it was about year three and a half. And I, I for six months, I sat back in chair thinking, what's going on? I, this is crazy. Everything that I believed uh, through delivering services, procurement, government strategies I've been part of, some of them I've chaired. And you think, what? this is crazy. This, this is not real. Nothing's real. And most people who do what I've done in the research, they get to that mm -hmm. point and they think, okay, what's going on? I don't understand. That point there, you can become very critical. You can be particularly about women because this extreme feminist narrative that is turning women into victims, um, there's a reason for that. But you, you start to realise, well... I, I need to have a different kind of narrative and you you, you want I mean I, I tell this story regularly but I remember <coughs> sitting in a coffee shop next to two women who were not saying the nicest kindest things about their husbands 
and I wanted to swing around and, and I wanted to give them every single piece of data that I had accumulated and research I'd accumulated, stats and evidence in one go. So you get very passionate about it. Mm. And then I realised that most people don't know. You know, unless you're a man, and even men don't don't understand, you know, but most people didn't know. And when you get to that point, then my, you know, my heart softened a bit and I was thinking, oh, we need to educate. So what, what are the kinds of things that most people don't know? Like okay. Maybe something, something shocking. Because the, the, out there in the kind of cultural ether, it, the, the, the narrative, the understood kind of reality is women, uh, especially in this part of the world, have historically been oppressed. Men have been oppressing them. There's this thing called the patriarchy kind of playing devil's advocate here a bit. Okay. You know, and women have system systemically and, and you know, um, from pre-eternity been oppressed and only recently, you know, because of, you know, Western liberalism and, and, and enlightened superior values, they've, you know, st- starting to claw back some, you know, rights against against the evil men who've, who've you know, denied them the vote and treated them as property. And th- th- there's a kernel of truth in that, isn't there? <laughs> you certainly know what to say to get me feeling like okay <laughs> let's start the some stats and some evidence um last time i looked at homelessness 87 percent of homeless are men and boys some of them are just barely 16 mm-hmm. that is not just in the uk it, the figures are very similar wherever you look okay in terms of western cultures they're very similar um, 191 countries across the, role, the world hold the highest suicide rate for men and boys. The youngest documented is six years old. There are no services available. I know why that is. Domestic abuse, currently the figures, and, and again, something that's quite weird is it's a third of, of the documented cases. So, you know, um, a third of um, people who experience domestic abuse are men. And again, you'll see commonality around that around the world. There's common figures, okay? Education, let's talk about education. Everywhere you will see, we need to educate women and girls, okay? And they will look at developing countries. There's lots of grants and, and there's lots of support for those things. Universities mm-hmm. have, have departments where they're supporting women with education. They're trying to get in 50-50 in STEM subject classrooms. I've done the, the research. There are more men and boys not in education across the world. 30%... Um, of boys in UK education are failing. 20% in, in further education, more like a dropping out um, of men and boys. Um, compared men, to women. To, compared girls. to women and girls. Mm. I, I mean, I could keep going about the, the differences. I mean, in the UK, we have the NHS system. Um, in the NHS, we have um, preventative cancer treatments for cervical cancer and for breast cancer. One, uh, two, two killers for men. Agenda specific is testicular cancer and prostate cancer. They they could get preventative um, expiration, but they don't. They have to be symptomatic, and unfortunately, with prostate cancer, once you're symptomatic, you're you're highly like unlikely to be cured. So the I could. I mean, the, the, clearly, you've, you, know, you know, this is your work, so you've done a lot of research, right? And um, I'm not kind of disagreeing anything. Just for the sake of kind of, um, t- uh, I guess, probing a bit further, mm-hmm. not in an adversarial way or anything, but yeah. can't someone say that? Look, historically, men have been the ones who've gone out and been eaten by lions or whatever, or had to go and hunt. Uh, I don't know zebras. What do we used to hunt? <laughs> And you know, gone out to the mines and and battlefields and and war and that kind of stuff. Naturally, it, it the norm in society actually is for men to put their own lives on the line and and put women first, put their women folk first. This this notion of you know the gentleman or the the chivalrous person or 
uh, Islamically the, the notion of ghayra of you know having a, a kind of protection a protective um, sentiment over the women of the tribe and and the society and that kind of stuff is it, so isn't it normal for um, even male doctors and policymakers to put women first yes it is normal and i think this is where the the the, the wrong narrative comes alive mm. i think the perception is that men and women's roles historically i mean my research went back 2000 years because in the wow. la- in the last um, year, I didn't know they kept records that long. Well, they did. You know, I looked <coughs> for female le- female leadership, and I looked at the, the what it was like living in a home two thousand years ago. I mean, wh- one of the wacky things I discovered was the word feminist was created by a French theorist in in the sixteen hundreds, who believed that the only way that you could have a a balanced, thriving society was to have the opinions of men and women within that society. So he promoted that women should always have a voice in governance. And mm-hmm. there is still there's areas in America, actually in the US, that implement his theory and run their governance in that way. So there's small pockets that still run by him. So I looked back a thousand years because I was looking you know, the, the feminist voices, we are suppressed, we are controlled, we are this, we are that. And I wanted to see, is that real, you know? So okay, so your, your, your qualm is not, why aren't there more women committing suicide? <laughs> your qualm is, why, despite the, 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 the evidence on the contrary, is there such a broad, widespread narrative that women are oppressed and the victim and, and so forth? Is, is that correct? It is, it is. I mean, when you do the journey that I've done, and anybody that's, that's, that's mm. doing that right now, you start to realise that narrative is not real. And it, it, it's, it's not just not real, it is not, it, it's not something that women need to be seen as. If you ask a gen- generally, if you ask a woman, you know, are you a victim? What ends up happening is they sit forward, and, and even when they have experienced something that is very negative, mm-hmm. nobody wants to be seen as a victim. And society, by saying women are victim, they are they are almost suppressing women from from being the best version of themselves because they're always fighting. They're mm. constantly thinking they've got to fight and battle. There's lots within that narrative. I mean, victimhood it brings it brings negative connotations in a workplace. I'll give you an example. I've got women who they've worked in a job for two years because their board is saying we need to get more women in certain departments. Men who've worked there 15 years and have done their time and they've worked through their stages and shown and proved themselves. Mm-hmm. Because of the society is seeing this victimhood and we've got to give the... It's almost entitlement. Well, it's not almost, it is. Mm. As a woman, we're entitled now. You know, we have to be because we have to be seen to have what we need and want. It's not real, though. And for women like me, I left school when I was 15 and a half and lots of women like me did, went into work, studied all my life. (coughs) If somebody gave me a job just because I'm a woman, I would feel absolutely insulted because I stay up till two o'clock in the morning, four o'clock, working, you know, mm. I work, I do my d- due diligence and I work. Women don't want to be seen that way, but there is a layer in society where it suits it to have it that way. Why do you think that is? I think most things in extremism, there is always, for me, th- and uh, there's some very famous people that will tell you this and know much more about this, it's normally power and money, power, control and money. Mm-hmm. And feminism, unfortunately, um, that's what it's seeking. Femi- feminism now is not, 
I mean, for me and for lots of women like me, we talk about this regularly. For us, it's a swear word now. The word feminism is a swear word. It has no connotation in anything positive any longer. And it means basically, you know, it, 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 it's become something that says you're a victim and you're entitled. You know, it doesn't say you're balanced and you want equality for all. It says you're a victim and you're entitled. And I, I certainly don't want that identity. So how would you define feminism then? Because this is something that, I mean, uh, sociologists, uh, sociology teachers, for example, they might even, you know, teach their kids, not kids, their, their students rather, in, in the classroom or uh, at school or in university or whatever, not even to use that word, but say feminisms, mm-hmm. right? Because it's, it's not m- maybe... There's not no one clear, mm-hmm. coherent kind of um, definition, I suppose, of it, and some of them are very, some some forms of feminism or um, concretization of feminism are, are so extreme in in their mutual exclusivity. Mm-hmm. You know, they they would they would go to war with each other. So, what what, what is what does feminism mean to you? And do you regard yourself as anti-feminist? Uh, I, that's a that's a very good question. Um, yes, I would class myself now at, with the research I've done is it, as anti-feminist. Mm-hmm. I don't believe there's anything positive about this word any longer. And I think if women want to be seen to be educated or working to be the best they can be, they wouldn't want to be identified as that. Well, the women that I work with don't mm-hmm. want to be identified as that. And how would you define it in, in, in summary for? Because, oh. I mean, many people just say feminist just means, you know... They want they want equality. Oh yeah, well, so, well, I mean, some of the ones who who are trying to keep the authenticity of what it means, which means to have equality and balance for everybody, mm-hmm. and that they represent that. That's the that's the nicest version of the definition. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who are in position of power, it's become a tool that they engage with other women to fire them up to say, "We are feminists, and we need to stand up, and we need to be accounted for." You know, that's and that's broadening towards yeah. the more extreme um, element of it. For me, I I see young <coughs> girls. You know, I, I've got granddaughters, and she's thirteen and and eighteen. I've got two of them, and I see them buy into this narrative. And on one hand, it suppresses them, so they're always feeling like there's they're always going to have barriers. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, they they started getting ready for the marches. We used to see, you know, in, in, in phase one, phase two, phase three of feminism, all this kind of activity. And they felt that they needed to do that. And I, they have, on times we've had deep discussions about this on how it affects them. And I said to them, do you feel a victim? I'm not a victim. So what what are you fighting for? I'm fighting for equality. What does equality look for, what does equality look like for you? Well, I want the same education. Are you stopped from having education? No. Has the school ever stopped you? No. So what are you fighting for then? Well, I'm fighting for I want a better paid job. Okay. So how are you going to get that? Is feminism going to give you a better paid job? No. So what are you fighting for? It, it, there's a smokescreen. It's just mm. one term, and and for me it translates into entitled entitled footsteps and I don't agree with it I mean one of the things you've probably um, been following unless someone's been under a rock uh, in recent weeks and months is the rise of kind of um, certain personalities that might be considered or or, um, you know Mm anti-feminist kind of macho kind of displays of um, you know being uh, being against feminism Mm -hmm. or being against uh, some some might argue even anti-women you know Mm -hmm. or misogynistic or whatever 
What do you what do you make of of this rise? Do you think it's it's a reaction to feminism, or do you think why do you think so much? Um, I guess uh, it's gaining so much currency. I mean, I I, I know one brother. He he's involved in like um, uh, Muslim scouts and stuff mm-hmm. like you know working with young people, and he said lot an increasing number of young boys, young men, adolescents. They start. They've started to use very kind of maybe anti-women, um, uh, misogynistic language in the way they start, you know, now talking about uh, women, even in their own, you know, families and stuff. And I sometimes I, 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 I wonder that whenever Muslims wander into debates amongst kind of the broader uh, society of non-Muslims, you know, kind of cultural wars and feminists versus red pill versus this and that that we we end up kind of just adopting certain un-islamic or anti-islamic mm-hmm. um narratives or ways of doing things um and in turn kind of you know uh, turning a young man who uh, within an islamic paradigm would have a great sense of uh, ghira and and jealousy and respect and a dignity over his women folk over his home his society his his you know tribe back in the day now he maybe begins to you know refer to them in public as you know using derogatory language and that kind of stuff do you, what do you make of this this rise in kind of this this these displays of of macho-ness and 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 mm, so m- one of my trainings is psychotherapy and life coach so people and behaviors and and how they position themselves and how they develop i mean lots of people will talk to you about you know the pendulum has swung one way and then it's, it's, it's more likely to swing back the other way. And I think to, to some degree that would happen. Um, there, is a, there is a movement now that is standing up for men and boys and is saying what's going on. The social media, things work at a very quick pace now. I think that we've got a society that um, the family... Um, an example could be that in a family court setting, when two parents walk into that setting, the family court is predispositioned mm. to support women and girls more. So families crack and break. We don't get it's not easy to get fifty percent care of your your children if you're a man. So we know that families. Um, uh, I I haven't brought those stats with me. I I don't believe, but I think it's around seventy percent. Um, of people in prisons and things like that were brought up in single families, particularly mm. men and boys. The identity of a, of a young man now is very skewed and it's very bombarded by this, you know, you're misogynist, you're toxic. I mean, this toxic narrative that's been... It, it, it kind of escalated. I started noticing it about four years ago and it was like a bushfire. You could hear it everywhere. Boys are constantly listening to toxicity, mm. toxic toxicity in the schools. These young men. Do you mean the things that they're listening to, listening to are toxic, or they're being described? They're as toxic? being described as okay. toxic. The narrative for them, mis- you know, mis- misogyny is is a, a very cr- cruel silence in word, and it's designed to be that. As soon as somebody is, as soon as a man or a boy has a voice, somebody and that voice doesn't uh, put women first or is not saying something the women want to hear, they are misogynists, mm-hmm. and and it's very good at silencing men. I think these terms are very much out of date now. They need to be abolished. 
boys growing up within those terms now toxic you know you're toxic in the school environment you know I was part of a project approximately seven years ago I was the chair and uh, a trustee of a organization called the Welsh Welsh Restorative Partnership and that was designed to go into schools and to look at positive relationships with young people and children. Mm. We've got women's services going into schools now and they're promoting men treat or boys treat girls better. You don't see girls treating boys better. Your cre- the, the society that's wrapping around this women and girl narrative and not considering men and boys is in every area of a young But man's isn't it life. the case that most women who are, for example, um, victims of murder and, and violence are are um, the victims of men that they know? Yes, but I mean those stats in itself, I mean if you want to talk about murder, there is more men and boys murdered than there are women and girls in a domestic setting. Yes. But is it girls murdering uh, men, uh, women murdering men or men murdering women? So in Northern Ireland, because I've just been, we've had a conference in Northern Ireland installment on the 18th, the 18th of November. Mm-hmm. So out of nine um, murders last year, five of them were women murdering men. Wow. So they were higher, you see. It, um, naturally, they are lower. They are um, they are lower in the UK, but oh, in the UK, so in Africa, uh, domestic abuse in Africa, there's more men murdered than there are women. In men dom- murdered by women? Yes. So some of the countries I looked at were African countries, mm. so the stats are different there. Mm. Um, so regardless, for me, it's, it's regardless of that. We, society has an overarching governance, and it can't allow itself to get involved in that. It has to provide the same services, because by its very nature, it's in servitude to the community, you know? And I think what's happening with all of these projects that are running to get positive relationships, get women and girls respected. Whereas previously, probably around six to eight years ago, you wasn't seeing that narrative in nurtured boys. Boys that were in school from the age of three, four, five, six, you wasn't seeing these narratives. Now you're seeing them. What kinds of narratives? So things like, you know, there's a blame and shame in there. So when you go into the school and you talk about positive relationships, these are a lot of these projects are run by, by women's services. So the narratives are the responsibility of negative relationships in the home are placed on boys. Mm. So they're trying to teach them better skills, communication, um, but not paying any attention to that coming back reciprocally the other, the other way. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so you've got young boys in 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds who are now being very influenced because they're being told that they are the cause. You are the causation, you know. So, so they kind of absorb this and almost like yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy Yeah. that that's my identity, that's who I am. That's who I I'm am. A, I'm, a, I'm a misogynistic person who hates that's, women. That's who I am. And, and oh, okay. you... You call somebody or something a dog for long enough, and that's what it'll come. It'll become. So talk about law of unintended consequences, right? So you're actually creating, arguably, the the, the very thing that you're warning against. Exactly. And oh. young young boys, they, their identity for for a, a long time now, in a society that has had very strong feministic views, um, that their identity. I mean, I talk to men all the time, and you know, they they bought into this thing. All I am is somebody who goes out, earns a wage, and comes back home again. 
I'm in constant servitude, you know, mm. and and I don't get the respect that I'd like to have, you know, that I give. And they've been silenced. I mean, I, you ask a man, what do you think of the term? If somebody says you're a misogynist, what would you do? And they're like, what can I do? It's delete, hard. delete those tweets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So this is a loaded question, obviously. That's okay. Are men oppressed? I honestly believe they are. I honestly believe they are. I think unless we start, particularly now with with young boys, I, I understand completely why they're following strong masculine voices. You've got broken families, men that are young men that are growing up in single parent families. I mean, one of the things we know there's lots of research now in Oxford and actually in America looking at the why men are needed in the parental home and what they bring to developing children, mm-hmm. both men and women. And one of the biggest things they bring is resilience. They bring resilience on decision-making, being able to, to get up and stand up and, and move forward when they've had their knees chaffed or they've something's hit them back in their life. So young boys are looking for leadership mm. and they're looking for voices that are saying, you're a guy and you're okay. You know, this, you're masculine and you're allowed to be masculine. And it's, I think it's going off on tangents and it, mm. needs, it, it needs to be understood. It needs good, strong figures in place for them to be able to identify with, you know. But surely, I mean, in the last few years we saw the, the Me Too movement, for example, and, and, you know, lots of instances of sexual harassment and harassment against women and girls kind of seeing, uh, seeing the light of day, so to speak, on social media. What do you make of that? Isn't, isn't, that, an, uh, isn't that an example of, Wait, there's a lot of ways still to go to educate men and boys to uh, not sexually harass women. Absolutely, there are very there are some very broken men who have grown up in an environment where they've not had the mm. opportunity to be the best version of themselves, and that is an education that I think should be existing. But we don't give the same to to women. Women, I've had women come to me, and they they literally. When I was studying my journalist degree, one of the staff in the university came up to me, and and she pulled me to one side because she knew that I was supporting men and boys, and she said, "I need to talk to you," and broke down in tears, sobbing because she 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 said to, her words to me were, "I absolutely batter my husband, and wow. and he never ever." instigates it and I've tried to get help I've been to charities and things I've tried to get help we have no women support no female support for things like that now with with boys and men and these sexual violence what we know is that men experience um, domestic abuse and sexual abuse they the pathways for them to disclose that are not open like they are for women and girls. Also, there's like a social stigma, I guess, that there's they suffer massive, in silence. There is a massive social stigma. And I think, I mean, we, we've we got, in Northern Ireland, we've got projects. In If you look at domestic abuse, because domestic is sexual abuse, we can say the stats say that there are a third of the population are men that experience <coughs> domestic and sexual abuse. The funding, they get less than 1% funding. Wow. For, for those services. So there is no services. You prese- you know, you, a woman presents anywhere, even Boots Chemist or some of the banks, and as soon as she says, I'm being abused, she will be taken to one side, she'll be rescued. And there's, there's services that will wrap around her instantly. Mm-hmm. Now, on average, there are seven services that will respond to that that um, report. For a man, there are two. And that's even that's that's even 
not considering it's going to take him one man who phoned the helpline in in northern ireland he'd been experiencing abuse for 60 years it took him 61 years it took him 61 years Mm -hmm. to report abuse for others the national average is 31 years for for a man to report sexual uh, violence or domestic abuse it the average is 31 years so Yes, I understand, you know, we do need to educate people about self-control and sexual behaviours, mm-hmm. but it is an illusion if you think that women are not participating in that behaviour. Yeah. What, what is... Uh, I, I came across this term, and I don't know if, if, you, if you would call yourself this, or if this is like the, the more quote-unquote toxic kind of masculinism or something like that. Okay. Is that, is that like the, uh, is that the, the opposite... Or to to, to feminism now. Yeah, I think it's probably, yeah, it seems to be growing. They try, you know, it's a narrative that will grow. This is why I think... So now, I mean, now you've said, now, you know, if you make the case that men are oppressed... We need a men's liberation. <laughs> well, kind of I wouldn't go that far. It's all going to start again, isn't it? Cause, no, because you guys, you guys have your power. And mm-hmm. in my experience, <coughs> while I've worked with men who have gone through some horrendous experiences, and as a result, they are offending. Um, you know, you talk to guys in prison, there's a reason why they're in prison. They will have experienced some form of abuse to get in there. Mm. You know, people don't grow up at five years' age and say, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a drug dealer or I want to commit crime. There's a journey with that. Depends what kind of music well, they listen to. Well, well I think that's just a self-development. <laughs> I'm pushing the boundaries and I want to listen to the music yeah. I want to listen to. But I think we we are in a state where we need to give... We need to visibly be seen to be mm. supporting men equally. Or you will get that pendulum effect. Mm-hmm. So, so just to rewind a bit, you pulled on this thread and you, you found so many instances of men effectively being oppressed or not receiving adequate services and policies and, and legislation for the, the uh, and, uh, you know uh, their suffering in some circumstances and then you you pulled on this thread and you found you know wait a second it's going all over the world and then you and, and, and you got to the UN so what happened then so in the UN I was looking for the source I'm used to working with legislation and guidance mm-hmm. you know so I was looking for source so I looked at a number of different um, conventions you know human rights convention equality stuff um, the different influences to each country. And then I, I came across the Istanbul Convention. Okay, what's that? So the Istanbul Convention, um, the UN Women was created in 2010. Uh, we have no UN men. And then in 2011, the Istanbul Convention um, was created and, and countries were asked to ratify it, which basically means that there's a set of principles um, and countries are asked to adopt those principles and show that they are working towards them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been in place since 2011. I read this um, and there's a, um, a policy um, guidance called CEDAW. Um, I read that. I cross-referenced them with the Children's um, uh, Convention, uh, Human Rights, a few other things. The Istanbul Convention is is to prevent violence for women and girls. Now, Europe, the Europe, European Council, when it created and participated in this, it stated that countries should also include men and boys in any work they did in relation to the Istanbul Convention. They've never done that. They don't do that. It's, it's not in the con- it's in the convention and it's not. It's not in the or? it's not in the convention. It's it's mentioned. 
as an additional um, as an additional um, caveat, if you like, okay. um, that that countries should I, um, enable men and boys to be included in the policies they create from that, or the legislation they create from that. Mm-hmm. That's never happened. The legislation, I mean, for some of your your viewers who don't know, legislation normally is ambiguous in gender. It doesn't really state or support one gender. But when you come away from legislation, you'll start seeing commonality threads through the guidance. Mm -hmm. Then how it translates into policy could be completely discriminatory. And that's what's happened with the Istanbul Convention. Now, we have a number of countries. It's it's quite, um, I don't know, it's quite a strange thing. Istanbul convention um istanbul was the first to ratify and they were the first to leave the convention they and there are a number of other countries who are also preparing to leave the convention and the justification for that is that they believe that it's causing conflict in the family and it's pulling families apart it's causing competition so what what does it say then so it basically says that all of all the focus around health well-being there's lots of things within it because it talks about serving the minority it talks about pr- uh, providing education but basically it's telling countries you need to protect women and girls at all costs and isn't that a good thing it is a very good thing uh, i think you know having something that's that makes policy be aware of protecting women and children mm-hmm. in developing on or developed countries is very good except for we don't have the same for men and boys Mm. And and for me, I mean, most people who are balanced, you want to see an issue. So so there's homelessness is an issue, domestic abuse is an issue, and you want the legislation, regardless of your gender or your culture or your colour or whatever, that legislation will serve equally. Mm-hmm. It will have you know, governance will have understand roughly how many people in its communities have experienced these issues, and it will provide su- services appropriate to that. I recognise that men and women are different and we need different approaches, you know. Um, In our conference in Northern Ireland, we had uh, one of our guests, um, actually the Mental Health Commissioner for Northern Ireland was one of our speakers, and I had a trauma specialist. When men experience trauma, um, because one of the things that you'll find in services, service will say, Sally, we know that men and boys suffer these things, but they don't talk to us, they won't tell Mm. us. My, My... Come instant comeback it is then you're not asking them the right way you need to prepare your services to ask them the right way but men biologically when they experience trauma because of who they are and and how they respond it shuts down a part of their brain that allows them to formulate language so there are reasons why men find it now we know women that women can talk 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 talk, talk. it it does so women find it very easy they talk 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 it's easy for us to communicate we're used to it 